I would like to welcome you all very warmly to this insight meditation and yoga retreat here at Gaia House. This is Helen and my name is Yanai and we're very happy to be here with you all for this time that we have together. And we'd like to spend a little time this evening just giving some framework and uh, kind of outline for what we'll be engaging in and how we'll be orienting ourselves in the in the period of retreat that we have. And so there may be quite a few sort of informational things and you may not remember them all, but don't worry because most of what we'll say we'll say again. I just want to check to begin. Can you hear all right at the back? Is the volume okay? Good. If at any point with either of us you can't hear or you need us to speak up, uh, please let us know because... Uh, it can sometimes seem like it's a long way down to the back, but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can hear and uh, not feel too far away. So, for me, it's actually a really delightful thing to come here and to be with a group of people who've chosen to spend a period of time engaging in spiritual practice. There's a lot of things you could have chosen to do with the, uh, the, the next four or five days that we'll all be here together. The options are pretty close to endless out there, it seems. And the fact that you've chosen, each of you, to come here and you know, made the effort to clear that amount of space in your, in your lives is something very, very touching to me. So there's this kind of coming on retreat and for a number of you it's the first time that you're here and the first time that you're engaging in a retreat of this sort at all and particularly want to express a, a very, not just a welcome but also an appreciation of your choice to do that, to come and explore something new, something different than what might be already known and likewise for those of you who are returning or here in the really as a, a part or an expression of an ongoing and deep commitment to exploring the truth of what it means to be alive, what it means to be here in this world, with this body, mind and heart. And that exploration really is very much what we see the retreat as being about, creating a space and an opportunity in which we can explore and come to know for ourselves, through our own experience, more deeply and more fully what it means to be a human being, what it means to be alive, what it means to be encountering the world that it seems all around us and equally the world that we experience within us, the life of thoughts and feelings. So, with that, to say a little bit about what it means to come on retreat, there's a, a framework here that really can support this exploration, this looking into, getting to know, not by being told how it is, but by seeing for ourselves what's true, seeing for ourselves what is useful in the condition we find ourselves in. Perhaps understanding what can really more deeply support and nourish our well-being. Support a sense of 
of peace, of kindness, of truth, of freedom. Or whatever it might be that we find ourselves drawn in our hearts to to deepen, to discover, to develop. What we're doing here in some ways may look a little strange to someone who's never done this sort of thing before. Even walking in and sitting in the room and seeing these three, in some ways closely packed together lines of bodies that are here, the few that aren't quite in the lines on the sides and at the back and around the edges, so it's not too regimented, but it might feel a little funny, you know. And please feel free when we're when we're sitting here and if we're speaking to, if you want to move a little to the left or the right so that you've got a slightly clearer line of vision, you're very welcome to do so um, in this moment or another time as you wish. It's not that you have to all be lined up in some dead straight sort of, you know, and then we'll ask you to all put on sort of white clothing and um, it's not going to go that way, just to let you know. But there's something about coming into a situation like this where we've placed ourselves in a, in a context that is kind of oriented and is established and is organised really to support a very particular aspect of, of life. And this is what I would refer to loosely as you know, spiritual practice, exploration, discovery. This may be something that you relate to as a word or a concept. It may not be. That's okay. Because I don't really imagine one would come to choose to do something like this unless there was some real interest in your life. And that's really what spirituality is about at its heart, to be interested in our life and perhaps interested also in the life around us. And people such as ourselves, women and men throughout all times, and in all regions of the world, have gathered together in this way at times to engage in spiritual practice, to engage in exploration. Sometimes people, of course, have gone off on their own to the, to the, sort of the, the mountaintop or the cave or the forest or the desert. And other times they've come together in communities saying, there's something important here I'd like to know more about. I'd like to discover. And so in coming into the retreat, we're coming into a, in a way, a field that's focused towards this exploration. And we'll be using tools and teachings and practices that have been developed through human experience over the ages. Teachings of insight meditation, the the form of meditation practice that we'll be using in the sitting meditation come from the the teachings of the Buddha, a human being who lived two and a half thousand years ago. And likewise the, the teachings of the yoga practice, the yoga meditation, which Helen will speak to in a few moments. Or probably I should say a few minutes. But these are practices that aren't born of some kind of theoretical model, but out of a a very live human encounter with experience. And really, as a foundation for what we're doing here, there's an invitation to make this time here a really live encounter with your 
experience. It's not going to be a rehearsal for something else. Not a rehearsal for the rest of your life. Not a sort of getting ready for doing something other than this. Because it's really easy to live our lives getting ready to do something else. Being always preparing for the next thing. And there's something about the possibility of living one's life right now for what's here. That rather wonderfully actually enables us to live equally fully in whatever moment we might encounter in the future. In some ways the best preparation for what is yet to come is to really meet where we are very fully, very consciously. And in doing so we'll have the opportunity to understand what makes that challenging, what makes that what supports that to to come to be on retreat. We may have some idea what's going to happen here. We might think we know because we've done this before. Or we've read about, I see one or two people who've done it before laughing when I say that. That's probably because they know, and they've probably done, as I certainly have, as turning up thinking, I know what's going to happen, and then to find out that something else happens. And equally, of course, if we've never done this sort of thing before, we might think, yeah, I know about yoga, or I know about meditation because I've done a class, or I've read a book, or I've talked to some people who do it. And yet those words are really broad, very open words. There's lots of things that come under the language of yoga, under the language of meditation, under the language of retreat, of spirituality. And even if we know all about all those different things, the reality is what's happening here has never happened before. Despite having said that people have been doing this for thousands of years, and they have, what's happened, what will happen here has never happened before. So we can't know exactly how it will be. Sometimes the suggestion that we really don't know what's coming, we might feel a a slight frisson of excitement or we might feel a slight um, sort of descending of a certain unease, like, just a moment, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh. And my invitation in making that, offering that reflection is really just to invite you to open yourself to whatever might be here, whatever might come. To not carry too much of a, a weight of expectation or demands. Not to come here with a intention that I've got to sort this out or I've got to fix that, I've got to make my meditation look like this or get my yoga to look like that. If we come with that kind of pressure or agenda, it's easy to turn a retreat into just another thing where we're rushing towards goals, end games, objectives. And and easily miss the preciousness of what's here. The mystery of what's here. The beauty of what's here already in each of us, in each and every moment. So some of the elements of the retreat that make it particular is that we, we kind of retreat. We step away from the world a little. Now... It's not like we get to come on retreat and the world goes away. And yet, and in fact, it's not the intention to come here and somehow get away from our life. Because our mind, our heart, our body, our thoughts, our feelings, all of this will be here with you on the retreat. And again, for some there might be a little disappointment in hearing that, thinking, I came here to get away from all that. But it's like, you know, it came here to get away from that too. And it's here. So, 
there's a sense of retreat. But really what retreat means in this context is giving ourselves some space from the habitual activities and some of the patterns and sort of proclivities or um, tendencies that we often unconsciously and habitually fill our lives with and live our lives through. So one of the elements of the retreat is that we'll be in silence. And this is one that for many people, I know there's a significant number of you here, going to be spending time in silence for the first time. And it's like, again, great, well done to come and try this out. Silence is something that has been recognized and pretty much every authentic and sort of profound spiritual tradition, by which I'm including all the ones we'll have heard of, and there will be more, of course, that silence is something that has been recognized as powerful, as transformative, as beneficial. To spend time in that way, with ourselves, on our own. Not engaged in the normal verbal activity, the chatter, the interaction, the sort of the, at times, sweetness and at times, awkwardness or painfulness of engaging with each other in sort of social discourse or interaction. And, and so silence is something that stands out for most of us when we think about coming on a retreat or when we choose to come on a retreat. It's a silent retreat. And for many, it's the thing which our friends, our workmates, our family have already assured us that there's no way you are going to be silent for five days. You know, We've maybe had the thought, how am I going to be silent for five days? How could that be possible? Now, you may have noticed already that silence doesn't mean there's not going to be any sounds. We'll be speaking, Helen and I, at times giving quite some detailed instruction and guidance. There will be opportunities for interacting with us in um, form of questions and reflecting on your experience, both uh, in small group meetings that we'll have with you regularly through the retreat and also for some who may wish or need some individual guidance may at times be appropriate. We'll be um, you know, hearing the sounds of the birds and the the various activities going on around. So it's not like there will be an absence of sound. But what we're asked to undertake in being in silence is a condition in which we're really turning towards our own experience. It's a way we can be in solitude with ourselves and yet not have to go away and be somewhere distant from other people. So it's something that allows us to spend time getting to know the truth of our experience more directly, more immediately, and seeing how we can often use speaking as a way of filling up the space. You know, we often, many of us, we crave more space, more openness, more unfilled, unstructured time in our lives, and yet so easily we fill it up. We're not comfortable to be quiet, to be still, not necessarily easily for us anyway. And these days, the opportunities for engaging with words and communication and information, which is what speaking and language seems to offer us, information, communication, relationship, and it's the infinite number of ways we can... It's not just about talking, it's about texting, it's about Skyping, it's about chatting, it's about all that stuff. And there really can easily be few spaces in our lives where we just stop and go, oh... Here I am, 
Here's my life. So we ask in the time that you're here on this retreat to refrain from engaging with each other in casual, social or even non-casual, non-social forms of conversation or speaking. What it also gives us is a a freedom from having to present ourselves as I'm like this, do you like me? Or "Mm, I'm not sure if I like you, you know. That whole thing that goes on that could be so complicated. Or I really like you, can I get to know you better? You know, but what if you don't like me? You know, all of that's not needed here. We don't have to tell our stories or define ourselves by our histories. They have their place and their importance. But there's also a dimensionality of what it means to be a human being that isn't about our history or our stories or our preferences and tendencies. But it's about something more fundamental that is shared that we sometimes start to sense more directly in the silence, in the quiet, in the space that that silence gives us. So if you've come here with friends or family members, Partners, spouses, to give them the gift of this time on retreat and likewise yourself by letting them have their experience and leaving them to be okay. If in any moment you are concerned about someone else, unless it's an obvious emergency situation, the tree just fell over, someone was underneath it, you don't have to try and communicate whether they're okay in sign language. Okay, But barring something like that, if anyone needs to speak to us, Helen and I are here. You don't have to be silent with us. If you're concerned about someone, and there's no reason you would need to be, but if you are, I'm not saying, not assuming that will happen is what I mean, but if it should happen, it's fine to let us know and then we'll check in and see and make sure someone's okay. So you can not have to be responsible either. That's part of what you get to put down here. And... Uh, Of course, you may need to work or engage with some of the coordinators around your jobs or other practical things. And, of course, again, you don't need to go into reception and attempt to communicate without speaking. It's happened before. Um, And so, uh, you know, just to understand that that's how it is. Sometimes it's quite difficult to turn off one's mobile phone. We think, ah, I'll put it on silent. And I'll just do check my text messages. And I would say to you, actually, I would ask you first of all, but even more than ask, I would really strongly encourage, request, implore you, turn them off, leave them alone. If you're anticipating the possibility of an urgent communication which you would need to know about, that's not just ordinary... Let whoever it is might have to make that communication to you have the number of Gaia House. You can do this tonight at the end of the evening. Let them know, and if they call Gaia House and it's an emergency, it will come through. If it's, and if, if they don't get a person, they'll get a number that they can call, which will have someone on it, and it will come to you. you we, the, the message will get here. Now, again, that's for most of us not going to be an issue. But if that's the case for you, there's a dependent relative or something like that that just needs to have that line in, it's okay. But so far as you can, let go of all of that. 
If you don't think you can spend five days without looking at your phone or you rely on it for an alarm clock, A, we can loan you an alarm clock that ticks or that tells time in the old way. Rather than a phone. And B, if you don't think you can put it out and give us the phone, we won't make any longer international calls on it. But just put it out of your hands. So that you really support yourself and support each other to enter into this time wholeheartedly and receive what it has to offer. Because there's a lot here for each of us, for all of us. And together with the the silence, also refraining from reading and writing, from getting involved with language in that form, needing to record our experiences or interesting things that are said, needing to sort of um, absorb information. There's lots of wise and skillful books about meditation, about yoga. They're all great, but you'll learn more from letting go of that for the time that you're here, from your own experience. And just as the letting go of speaking, resting in the silence, but also letting go of reading and writing, what it gives us is space, inner space, that may at times be challenging, but ultimately is profoundly rewarding. Some of what we encounter here may at times be challenging for us. Some of what we encounter may be delightful, delicious. Some of it may be confusing. Some of it may be boring. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but mostly everything happens. All that and more. So just to make space for that, what's most important here is not that it turns out that your experience is this or that, but that we engage in it with a sense of wholehearted interest to see what can be learned here, what can be discovered here, what is possible for a conscious human being. Because this is really the question. And the forms, the vehicles, the meditation, the yoga, the silence, all of that is in support of this. Yes, a very warm welcome to you as well. Um, I'm always grateful when people find their way to Gaia House. Uh, I started practicing Vipassana 30 years ago when I lived in Germany, being German. And then about 25 years ago I came to Gaia House in England and I find this is such a special place. It gives us such an opportunity that when I see people coming to this place, I'm, I'm always very grateful, I'm very happy, because I, I find it's a jewel to have a place like Gaia House. And coming here for so many years, I noticed this year there's even a big sign for Gaia House out there, because normally you turn around this little ways, and then there's a very, there was only a very small sign pointing to Gaia House, and it only had this very funny arrow And you never knew, did it mean that you have to drive down or did it mean you have to drive to the right side? So I think it was made easier for you to find your way to Gaia House. And, and I was laughing because I was uh, lucky to get a lift uh, and we were three people in the car and we were driving on the motorway and happily chatting to each other. 
and then we were on the motorway, and then there were signs, M4 and M5, and we had been chatting all the time and enjoying each other's company, and suddenly we said, oh my God, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we? And I thought, that's the wonderful spiritual question, isn't it? Where am I right now? Where am I going? So we arrived here after uh, some other incidents. <laughs> took us a little bit longer. And so it's a very special time. And I think when, when I, I teach uh, yoga, I always want people to start from a very, very fresh place. So luckily, from what I've seen, most of you haven't done that much yoga before. And sometimes it's nearly a warning to say, for you it might be easier. Because sometimes our mind is more fresh when we haven't done things before. We might have seen all these magazines. And one of the good things is that when I started yoga 30 years ago, it was still quite awkward doing it. Uh, it has become very popular. Uh, but all the people in the books and in the magazines, they are always celebrities and always these very young people and always these very slim bodies and always often they have a dancing background or a gymnastics background. So they always do this most amazing postures or possibly they've trained for the Russian circus, acrobatics, and I'm so glad to see you, because if you look around, normal people, normal bodies. So that's the good news. Therefore, all the movements we are doing, they will be really simple. And whenever I go through the house forms, there, there is mentioning of things uh, where people feel concerned, wrists or shoulders. There's first always alternatives, always and if you keep the movements very simple, most people can do yoga practices. And if you think even more simple, just lying down is a yoga practice. If you do that with your consciousness, with your awareness, it is a practice. And then when you're lying down and when you do one movement, possibly just bringing your legs together, that's a new posture. So you already have done a posture. So to keep it that simple might ease off the worries you, you might have. Um, I think I was very grateful. My, my yoga teacher is from India, and I met him about 30 years ago. And when he came to the West, he was quite upset how the West thought yoga would be. And he, when he was teaching classes, he saw lots of people straining themselves, like grasping and struggling. And, and he just thought, what is that? What has happened to yoga practice that should nourish a sense of joyfulness, a sense of happiness, a sense of peace, of contentment? And then I see people with hot red faces, biting their teeth, grasping their toes, but there's no happiness in that energy. Fine if you can touch your toes, fine if you can't. Because what we look at is less the form. I, the guidance is very specific. You will be guided very clearly into the form. But it is so 
with so much detail that you always can stop when you notice that you've reached your limits. And that's very important because that's your posture. And over the years I've been with him, he has very much simplified the posture so that we are less concerned of achieving, being in a specific position so that we can go deeper into the experience itself, so that we can rest in that experience with a sense of silence and holding the posture from this inner sense of stability. If you're a beginner, it's wonderful. If you're not a beginner, change your mind to what they say, Zen mind, beginner's mind. And what it refers to is this freshness of the mind. And the best way to remind us is about when we think about breathing. Because when I'm breathing in, that is a new beginning. And when this breath has come to an end, it will never come back. There is the underlying continuity of breathing. But this specific in-breath is a call to say, that's a new breath. And when I'm breathing out, that is a very special exhalation. It will never come back. So that is similar in our postures. We, we guide into the postures. We move into the postures continuously by being aware of the breathing as well. So that we have a freshness with the posture. Make sure you're warm. Because it won't be that you jump around a lot. It is not an aerobic activity, this style of yoga. It is much slower movements. So you will have, I would say, an inner sweat with working with them. But it won't be an outer sweat. So you must make sure if you have shorts, that's great. Otherwise, have a sweater with you. It's always better to feel warm and take off something than being cold. Because then the only experience you have, you will feel chilly. And that, then you would miss out on the deeper inner experiences the yoga can provide you with. Never forget to smile. It's always amazing when I do my practice and my teacher often says, smile. And then I notice, oh, my teeth were biting and my forehead was frowning. And how even these tendencies can affect our practice. So that there's a lightness to the practice. I'm not saying it is always easy. I know from people they say, your yoga, Helen, or that yoga you have received is deceiving me. Because the postures look so simple, but as they are done so slow, you enter aspects of yourself you possibly have not always experienced before. The yoga we are doing is based, and those of you who are yoga teachers, you obviously know the name from Patanjali. And the definition of yoga is, yoga is a practice in which you engage and where you silence your mind. And you do this by slowing down the mental activities in your mind till they can dissolve in the inner space of a deep quietness in the consciousness itself. And I think that's a very, very beautiful definition of yoga. So there's nothing to say that you practice yoga when you put your 
nose between your knees. If you can do that, it's fine. But it's more like noticing where's your mind when you're doing and when you're engaging in this practice. It will have its benefits. It will give you some stretches. It will give you, obviously, it will strengthen you. But that will happen. You don't need to worry about that. Good. And um, also, if you have lower back problems, it might be a good idea that you bring a small towel because sometimes people find that supports their lower backs. Just a little bit of a rolled-up towel. It's quite useful. Sometimes also a little bit of a rolled-up towel under the head. Some of us tend to tilt the heads too much backwards, so equally that can help you to be more aligned. So I'm looking very much forward to share with you this yoga practice, and hopefully if you were worried that you can't practice yoga, I've taken off some of the anxiety. And if you have your own yoga practice, cherish your practice, continue the practice you like doing. And my hope is that there might be an element from the practice the way I teach you that might benefit your practice as well. Thank you. Feel free if you need to just make a little adjustment. We'll, we'll, we'll have a moment to stretch more fully in just a few minutes. But uh, it's one piece before that I just want to include in really the framework of what we're creating here. There's the, the practices we'll be engaging in and there's the place that uh, we have here, Gaia House, the sort of the framework. And there's a place set up for the practice of what we're doing here. And yet, it's not what it is without how we are here together. So part of how we are here together is that sense of silence that I spoke about already. Just the way we stay with ourselves. And I, I wanted to say with regard to that, it's important to engage it in a, in, a, in a kindly way. So it's not that if you bump into someone in a corridor and by accident say, oops or sorry, that somehow you've done it wrong and you've failed and you know everyone's going to be saying, they spoke. That person, of course, they wouldn't be able to say that, would they? But, you know, you'd be afraid they're going to think that. Um, It's not like that. And yet at the same time being wholehearted with it. Together with that, in terms of creating the environment that's here, that's supportive, the other central feature that I want to speak about is really founding ourselves, founding our activity, our time here together on a shared caring for the well-being of each and every one of us here, and really all the beings that are here, which are more than just the sort of, I think, 58 human beings. In fact, 60, if we, um, I think 60, I I was 58 people coming on the retreat, but Helen and I leading the retreat, and then any number, actually another 20 or 30 human beings in the building as well, in terms of staff and other retreatants who are here on longer-term retreats. And then all the other beings of the, of the woods and the ground and the air and the water. 
so that an intention to care for, to be respectful of and sensitive to the well-being of life, without this intention, without this foundation, other forms of spiritual practice are, as one of my teachers used to say, they're just mental gymnastics. Where we're coming from matters. Not that we always can align ourselves with it. Of course, at times we might forget or feel reactive or resistant to such ideas. But there's something really important about this. And it's expressed in the context of the, the Buddhist teaching and practice tradition and here at Gaia House as the, um, the undertaking of the five ethical guidelines or precepts in which everyone who is here living or working is asked while they're here to adhere to these guidelines. The first of the guidelines is to refrain from taking life or causing harm to any living being. So, you know, we don't expect that someone's coming here with sort of some, some plan to cause mayhem in that regard. But it's easy for us to disregard small creatures sometimes, the ones we think of as insignificant, and just to be aware that this is their home too. And actually, sometimes it's their permanent home and we're just visitors here. We're just guests. So when we walk on the paths or in the grass, or if we notice, I think it's not that likely, but if we notice some little creatures turned up in our room or in here, you know, actually, it's not somehow not supposed to be here. Which doesn't mean we might not help but gently find somewhere there might be a bit more of a conducive environment, like outside. But again, with some care. Just as we ourselves would wish our existence, our presence to be respected, to not be disregarded. The second guideline, second precept, is to refrain from taking things that aren't offered to us. To respect the property of others. And unless things, are, things that don't belong to us, unless they're offered to us for our use, as many things are, to not take them or misuse them. And to be respectful of the property of others. So, you know, we might uh, think, you know, hmm, Someone has a rather nice-looking yoga mat. It's a bit thicker than mine. Maybe I'll try it out. And, you know, we think we're not doing any harm, but uh, how would we feel if we came in and we found someone else on our yoga mat? We might feel a little uncomfortable. Like, um, you know, we're not allowed to speak, so how do I say, can I have that? Small things like that, interesting to notice our relationship to things and how we can want things. And how also, when our own things are used or misused without our permission... We feel affected by that. So again, it's providing a sense of safety and care for ourselves and each other. And we can have 60 people, well, in fact, there's 80 people living here, or more at times, um, and none of the doors are locked. You're welcome to carry your wallet, passport, purse in your back pocket if you wish, or around your neck or under your arm. But mostly people find that it's okay to not do that, despite the fact that nothing's locked here. Because there's something about an atmosphere in which everyone commits to respecting property. It's really quite a precious thing to create together. The third precept is to refrain from engaging in intentional sexual activity. In the context of a daily life situation, the precept is to refrain from causing harm through unconscious or unskillful expressions of sexuality. And so it's not about rejecting this expression of our life that we may or may not choose to engage in, but that for while we're here, it's not saying there's anything wrong about it or making any moralistic judgment of it, but just as a way of supporting ourselves all just to be here with ourselves 
and to not be engaged in the seeking for gratification through experiences or relationships. Not be looking at the people out there as if they might be or might not be objects of interest in that way. And not having to worry too much about whether we're being perceived by others as objects of interest or not. And how, again, that can create so much pain for us. So it's just something to put it. It doesn't mean that the thought, the energy, the the movement might not arise in us. Of course, we can't control that. But if it does, that the intention is just that we're not acting it out here. It's not that it's bad or wrong if it shows up. But that we're not doing anything with that here beyond just acknowledging that it comes if it does and that it doesn't if it doesn't. The fourth precept is to refrain from harmful expressions of speech and in the context of the retreat to support the silence. And when we might need to speak, to be as far as we're able to speak what's true and what's useful. This is the primary guideline the Buddha gave, what's true and useful. And in, whether it's some practical thing we need to sort out with staff or in the meetings with Helen and myself, just seeing what's true, what's useful. And you'll probably have some opportunity to notice that we spend a lot of time talking, even in silence, inside our own minds, our own thoughts, the conversations that go on. Sometimes useful to ask of all that activity that goes on, what's really true? What do I really know is true in all those things, those thoughts and ideas in my mind? And what is useful here? How many of them are really contributing to well-being? So we'll say more about that in terms of that inner process. But... In terms of that fourth precept, to refrain from harmful expressions of speech. Understanding we can really be impacted by even just a few words sometimes, if they're said carelessly or with some charge. So again, increasing the sense of safety here for us all. And the fifth precept is to refrain from the use of alcohol or drugs, intoxicants, not to use substances that cloud the mind, that easily lead to carelessness and actions that we realize have caused harm to others or to ourselves that we end up regretting. So easily we can think, oh, it doesn't do any harm to get a little bit unconscious. But actually when we're unconscious, it's often that's the time the things happen that we are sorriest about in our lives. So there's a way in which we're also seeking to honour the, the remarkableness and the preciousness of consciousness itself, that we're awake, that we're alive, that we can know what's going on, at least some of the time. And for many of you, this may be just a small thing to say, okay, to put that down. For some, and it's not unusual, that it's actually a real challenge in life, working with tendencies to use intoxicants, in an unskillful or harmful, addictive manner, can be a real challenge. And it supports everyone here that we all choose to say, for this time at least, no. And of course there are forms of intoxicants that you know, aren't so much about substances, but more like you know, television, for instance. I class that as a you know, grade one intoxicant. Um, opiate of the masses. Um, more than religion these days, I'd say. Although maybe it's just our modern religion. Entertainment. This is the modern religion. We certainly give probably 10% of our income to it. So there's lots of levels at which all of these things can be understood and reflected on. But the overarching intention with it is 
that there be a sensitivity and a respect for life. Now with the last precept, if there's any kind of medicine that you're taking for the well-being of mind or body, please continue to take it. If it's, if it's for your health and it's something that you're using that's appropriate, please continue to use it. This isn't the time to say, oh, I'll just give all that up. And, uh, and so then we're really being respectful to ourselves, to our lives, to each other. And to create an environment where these five guidelines are held is to actually live in a, a world that perhaps looks a lot like the world we might all wish to live in. Imagine how our world would be if we would live, all of us human beings, let alone the creatures, just the human beings, according to these five guidelines, or even according to just one of them, and really keep it, what a different world it would be. And actually we can live in that world and we have that chance for this time here, together. And to also understand that that world begins in our own hearts. And by the holding of that caring intention, we can actually find that place in ourselves where there is safety, where there is trust. And in that sense of safety, of trust, of that environment of care, respect and non-harming, we can allow ourselves to be open to at times if we need to be vulnerable, to take a little bit of a risk with stepping out of our comfort zones because we are in a place of care and kindness among friends, even if we don't know that yet even if we don't know them yet. It's nonetheless pretty reliably my experience that people who come on retreats like this are pretty kind and caring people. And we have our moments, of course, where maybe that's not what shows up. But mostly, that's pretty reliable there. So, so I ask, and we ask here at Guy House, that everyone undertake for this time at least, and for some of you it may be part of your life and ongoing, the... Uh, the five guidelines as I've expressed them. And so, having spoken about this, having spoken about the nature of retreat, of the, something of the yoga practice, the silence, the simplicity of not reading and writing and the ethical foundations for being together, creating a community together, that's really a place from which we can also say, yeah, now this is what allows us to practice. And, I'd like to speak a little bit more about the meditation practice, just briefly, but that we'll be doing. That, and when I say meditation practice, actually Helen's already been speaking about one expression of the meditation practice. We're not trying to say it's this and that, but really just different expressions of the same. But having said that, we've been sitting here for quite a while, and if you'd like to, and you're very encouraged to stand up, to stretch, to move, just to see what your body might need to do right now. And... Please don't go away, we'll just be a little longer here together. But uh, see what your body might need to do. I find my body likes to bend a bit and stretch a bit and maybe sometimes shake or swing or sigh, all of which is allowed, and if what your body wants to do is sit rather quietly, not doing anything, that's fine too.
And as you're moving or not moving, noticing what it's like to give a considerable amount of your attention to your body itself. There might be some thoughts or other experiences going on, but giving a good proportion of your attention just to your body. Seeing what I might have to say. You might be saying stretch, you might be saying sleep. Might be saying go or stop or whatever. And when you've done what you feel like you need to do, there's no rush, but just uh, find your way back to a, a sitting position in a chair or on the floor as you wish. Tomorrow morning and through the days of the retreat, we'll be giving you instruction in the different forms of practice, the yoga and the meditation, as we kind of for simplicity describe them to distinguish them, although really meditation is a form of yoga and yoga is a form of meditation. We'll be giving you instruction and guidance with regard to these practices. And so at this time I'd just like to give a a very brief instruction with regard to the meditation practice that we'll be doing. We'll be using different postures, mostly sitting and walking, a little bit of standing also. And yet it's not really the posture, just in fact, as Helen was saying, with regard to the yoga, equally in the meditation. It's not about the posture. We think we're going to do some meditation, so maybe we think I better be sitting cross-legged, sitting upright, looking sort of like, you know, that guy or that woman, you know, and that's what we think, that's meditation, you know. And yet meditation is much more about an inner orientation. It's a, a posture of the heart and mind, we could say. Or maybe I find more useful in orientation. It's a way we kind of engage with and look at or seek to meet our life and our experience rather than a shape or a form that we try and sort of bend ourselves into and keep ourselves within. And so... Basically what we'll be engaging in is an exploration of what supports us to be awake, to be conscious, to be present, to know where we are, as Helen was naming that sort of question, which is quite a relevant one on the motorway you know, at a, at a junction, like A, do I know where I am, and B, do I know where I'm going? And is that a sign saying, whoops, I've just missed it? We all know that experience probably. One of the things we get to do is slow down. So we can see where we are and maybe notice when the opportunity to make an adjustment in our direction is offered to us. And in the meditation practice, we begin by establishing 
a more conscious, intentional connection with where we are. Because this is the only place we can live our life. And this is where practice happens. It only and always ever happens here where we are. And so the, the most useful or the most immediately accessible element of being here right where we are is our body. Because it is here right where we are. Our mind, it seems, can go anywhere and often does with remarkable and sometimes alarming speed and enthusiasm. And if any of you have practiced, for those of you who have practiced meditation, as many of you have, you'll know this. It's not going to be news to you. The remarkable speed with which the mind can depart from here. So noticing your body is a way of being here. Because it's here. It's always here. We might forget that that's so, but it doesn't. And we can connect with that remembering that's in the very living cells of this body just by feeling that they're alive. Because that's what we feel when we notice our bodies here. It's because it's alive. If it wasn't alive, we wouldn't feel it. And noticing what that's like to feel your body resting on the earth as we are. And noticing as we're sitting here, if we, if we feel that we're at bottom, is resting on the earth, body weight pushing through the, the chair or the cushion or the bench, pushing into the ground below us, there's also a sense of an uprightness to the body. It's extended vertically into the sky. So another dimensionality of what's happening in our body right here. On the earth, but rising up. So we just notice that there's a certain engagement required for that. So we're just resting in one sense, but we're so engaged. And seeing if we can also bring in a quality of relaxation so that the body can soften, be allowed to be at ease here, not under pressure to perform, to look good, to do it right. There are many different forms of practice, many ideas we can have about how it should look, or what should be happening. And so far as we can let go of ideas of how it should be, we really have the most or the greatest chance and opportunity to discover how it is. Because that's what's important here. So how is it for you right now to feel your body sitting here? What's that like? You may have an answer that comes in words, and it may not come in words. It may just be, oh, it's like this. Hmm. Maybe tight, maybe loose, maybe hard, maybe soft. But it is here. Even if I can't feel very much of it. What is that like? Oh, that's what it's like. Not much I can feel right now. Okay, that's allowed. And then becoming aware of the breathing. Your body's natural rhythmic expression of its aliveness. The drawing in of the air into the torso. And the releasing of air from your body back into the space around us. Noticing what it's like as you do that. So there's a sense of your body sitting here, breathing. 
not trying to focus in or lock onto a particular point of that experience, but just discerning in a kind of broad sense this flow, this rhythm. The air is drawn in to the body, and the body expands, lifts a little, just naturally, organically, and then the body relaxes, softens, begins to drop just a little, and the air moves up and out. And just for now, we'll take a few minutes to sit as you are in your body, aware of the sense of sitting here, breathing. And perhaps particularly noticing the movement of the body as you breathe. Whatever it is that lets you know breathing is taking place. If you can't feel anything, if that doesn't seem to register in any way you can notice, that's okay. You can just place the soft, open palm of your hand against maybe your upper or middle abdomen, or or maybe the lower chest in the middle. And what you'll notice if you do that, just with a soft, gentle, don't put pressure on, What you'll notice is that that amplifies the sensations of what's happening in your body as you breathe. Because the hand, the palm is quite sensitive. And so too is in fact our skin. So sometimes that'll help. Just begin and you can, if you wish, if you find it useful, you can do that for, you know, as long as you find it useful. It's not required. Just sitting, being present right here as you are. And as you experience the breath coming in and going out, you may notice your attention at moments is drawn away. Or you may find you've become lost in thinking about something else. When that happens and you notice that it's happened, it's okay. Just come back to your body sitting here, breathing. It's not that wherever you went is something that shouldn't have happened. It's simply what happened. And whatever happens here, we can notice it and reconnect, come back. So coming back to this body breathing, and we'll sit now for a few minutes, just as you are. being aware and mindful, experiencing with sensitivity and interest. Moment by moment, this body breathing, just as it does, just as you are.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.